Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk with creative Mississippians. I'm your host, Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with musician Rob Detjen. Rob plays the French horn for the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra and the Meridian Symphony Orchestra. Thank you so much for being here today, Rob. Thank you so much, Leslie. um, I'm a big fan of the show, actually. I listen to it every week. Um, and I'm just really excited to be here. Um, never thought you guys actually be a- asking to talk to me, so it's really exciting. Oh, like I told you, you've been on my <laughs> list for a long time, and we have so much to talk about, so I'm very excited to have you. And as I, as I mentioned in the intro, you play with this, the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, the Meridian Symphony Orchestra, but that doesn't really scratch the surface, so we have a whole lot to talk about. But before we get to what you're doing now, you are not a native Mississippian. Not from originally from Mississippi. I um, actually grew up in southeast Alaska, so pretty far away, much different climate, but actually was originally born in Connecticut. Oh, okay. I didn't um, know that. And a weird sort of thing, my, f- my family or my parents lived in New Orleans, um, and they moved about a few months before I was born to Connecticut. So in a sort of weird way, coming back to Mississippi is a bit of a homecoming to the, to the southeast. Um, my family used to joke about that my love for spicy food came from them living in New Orleans when, when I was conceived. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I do love, you know, a good gumbo or jambalaya, you know, etouffee. Those are some of my favorites, so maybe that's why. But I grew up um, in southeast Alaska, um, which is, it was a really exciting place to grow up as a kid just because of all the things to do outdoors. So mm-hmm. the hunting, the fishing, um, just... You could just do whatever you wanted out there. And then there's the whole sunlight, darkness thing. So in the summer, you could be out till, you know, midnight, and it would still seem like it's like 5 o'clock in the evening, you know. So it, um, wow. it was a really exciting place, place to grow up, for sure. Were you involved in the arts in Alaska as a kid? I mean, I was in the sense that, well, yeah. I mean, I played in the Juno Symphony from, an early, from like when I was in high school. Um, you know, it's a town of about 30,000. It's the capital of Alaska, mm-hmm. and the symphony is... semi-professional I guess you'd say Um, and so my teacher there I've somehow found a horn teacher in southeast Alaska who knew what they were doing which is one of the whole reasons that um, I'm probably a horn player now Mm. and he was principal horn in the symphony and he kind of took me under his wing and when he felt that I was not going to make a complete fool out of myself he he started asking me to come play the symphony so Mm. early on I was doing that I started teaching horn when I was in high school my band director, I think, quit or didn't quit, but moved to a different job, retired maybe even. After my junior year, we had a big, we did, we traveled down to Seattle and um, did a bunch of traveling and, and got to play, which was amazing in, in high school. Um, and that's the thing about Alaska, whenever you do anything, you have to really travel. So we did air travel, because in Juneau, it's landlocked, so you can only get there by boat or plane. And so we had a flying go around, and he re- sort of retired, and we had a new person coming in, but there were some people that wanted to take lessons. And so he suggested me, and so I didn't know what I was doing, but I started, and ever since then, pretty much continuously, I've been teaching horn as well as playing. 
How old were you when you start, like, really started from the very beginning? Like music or horn? Music. Gosh, um, I can really, it's hard to say when I really first started. I just remember singing early on. That's how I got started, um, whether it was in church or singing to the radio. Um, I always kind of just had a, a knack for, like, going to a piano, not really knowing, like, kind of knowing basic things on the piano, but just being able to pick out melodies and mm-hmm. kind of... Um, pretty easily know if a note was higher or lower. Mm. That was something I always did. I didn't come from a musical family at all, really. I did have a cousin who was um, who took um, formal piano lessons and was very good for a while. Um, and that always just made, I couldn't imagine being able to do that when I was, I was actually intimidated, I think, at first by that. Um, and then I had a, my mom's cousin actually was a jingle writer um, in New York. He wrote some jingles for like the Kudos commercials. He collaborated on um, the Ray Charles, You Got the Right One Baby, by Pepsi thing. Oh, that's huge. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was some music stuff going on there. I, I met him a few times, but really it was, the first thing that really hit was I, I wanted to, I heard the, the song, which we may, I don't know if we're going to talk about it today, but uh, Van Halen, uh, Panama. And so I'm a kid of the 80s, and that just, I was enthralled by that song and the guitar. And I just had to hear everything guitar. And so I wanted to play the guitar more than anything. And my mom was just like, ah, I don't know. And they were like, well, we'll let you play classical guitar. And so I, I took classical guitar lessons for probably five or six years. Didn't really get very good at it, but I, I did it. And was just involved in music. And then started playing the cello when I could um, in fifth grade in the orchestra, but didn't really like doing it because, I don't know, the teacher was real stickler about having your, your fingernails a certain length, and we kind of always, we got stuck on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star for a really long time, <laughs> and I wasn't real, real excited about that, and then when we got to play, play in band, I was like, oh, we can play in band, mm-hmm. and so that's when I kind of got started on the horn. Were you in marching band, or did you guys have a marching band? Well, I mean, it was a sixth grade, so we didn't have marching band there. Oh, not yet, yeah. And actually, it's kind of a funny story. Um, at that time, what they did is they, they um, this was in Michigan, actually. It wasn't in, in Alaska. It was, it was a short trip. Um, we lived in, in northern Michigan for a little while. They had, like, a, someone from, you know, who was, who was renting the instruments from a music store come in and sort of do, like, a music proficiency test. And, you know, they played, they played tones and see if you could hear it um, higher or lower. And I guess I scored really well on that. And when they came in to, so you could choose your instruments, I was actually sick that day. So I didn't get to, to choose the instrument I wanted. And Gosh, I don't remember what I wanted to play. I think it was like saxophone or, you know, maybe clarinet or something. And when they came back the next week or whatever and were handing out the instruments, I was like, I, you know, I didn't get to choose my instrument. And they said, well, you can, you know, play horn, I think oboe, and maybe percussion. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and But I knew my mom really loved um, the horn. Um, she always was playing. Like, my family wasn't musical, but they were always listening to music. Um, and so we had, they used to listen to water music, Handel's water music all the mm-hmm. time, um, whenever we'd have a nice dinner. And they'd always have wine, and so we actually nicknamed it wine music rather than water music, because <laughs> every time, you know, we heard this, they were going to be drinking wine. And so I, I loved that opening, um, you know, in, in the su- first suite with the horns, it just captured me, the sound, and so that's kind of how I got started. I feel like we should have curated a playlist to go <laughs> with with this interview because I, I love hearing about the songs or the the early influences of of any artist. Are there any other you know early influences, whether it was somebody you knew or just something you loved listening to that really stand out to you? I mean, gosh, um, I had some amazing people that that sort of kept me on the music track. Um, 
you know, my first guitar teacher uh, was named Larry Driver, and, you know, he has a studio, and we do studio recitals. Um, and so I was, gosh, eight. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. I could play, like, one little tune. It was called E.B. because those were the two notes. Um, it was in Mel Bay's book that it centered around. And, um, you know, he made me go up in front of everyone in the music store and play this. And I was scared and really nervous. But it really kind of, I don't know, it, 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 at the same point, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's the excitement of being in front of people and not necessarily having to talk but just being able to play and, mm. and share a piece of yourself just has stuck with me the rest of my life, for sure. I'm Leslie Barker with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with musician Rob Detjen. So, Rob, you played from, from all the time, all the way from being a kid through high school. What happened after that? Where did music take you college-wise? Yeah, well, I, I, like many people, getting out of high school at the end, your senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue. just mm. was like... Um, I thought I wanted, I, so <laughs> I had this idea, I, three things, three possibilities. Um, one was maybe music, but I really didn't know how that worked. I mean, coming from Alaska, there just, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to be a professional musician. Um, I really loved to cook, mm. and so I really thought seriously of going to culinary school um, to the point where I took a summer job in one of the local restaurants as a prep cook slash dishwasher and learned very quickly that I did not want to do that. Um, mm. I love to cook. You know, I, there's a big difference between cooking at home, being a home cook versus being a line cook or a prep cook. It's a very different experience. And doing the same thing repeatedly over and over again, you know, in the same day, just it didn't really work with me. And then all the cleanup, it just, I, you know, I, I, they, they politely asked me to leave, let's say. <laughs> Um, and then, honestly, I um, really thought about joining a circus. Um, Whoa. I love to juggle and different things <sighs> like that. And um, so that was those were the three things I really thought I might do. But I really had no idea how to get into music as far as, as, as after high school. And we had a career day um, in Alaska at our school. And when they did that, they invited a bunch of schools on the school that I was um, p- paired with, they paired each senior with a school. They kind of sat at their table to help them talk about their school and, and meet with a recruiter or whatever. It was uh, Gulf Gulf Davis Ad- Adolphus, I think, or Gus Davis Adolphus is what it was. And I was talking to the recruiter, and he's like, "Well, you know, you can." You know, he's asking me my interests. He's like, "Well, you know, you can you can go to school for music." And I was like, "Really? Like you can <laughs> be in school for music?" And like, yeah, and um, you know, you might even get some money. You play the you play the horn. Um, you know, offering their scholarships, and that just blew my mind. Like, I couldn't, so I started, you know, the internet wasn't really, it was there, but it wasn't, like, everyone didn't have these, you know, schools didn't have a real prominent position on the internet yet. It was, it was much, much more primitive than it is now. Um, and so I, I called people, I talked to people, um, and I found out that was true, so I auditioned at a number of schools, and my two finalists um, were the Hart School of Music in, um, in Connecticut, at Hartford, University of Hartford, um, and then University of Oregon. And Hart School is because of David Jolly, and I read some books somewhere, like Best Schools for Horn or something at the time, and his name was there, and I reached out to him, and we had a really good, um, dis- I think we, we had like a, a phone interview, and I think you heard me play over the phone, because you know, he didn't have the Zoom or anything back then. And so I was g- getting all ready to go there. But the summer before that, I had gone to Interlochen, the arts uh, festival in the summer, the summer camp, not the, not the school. And I was, let's just say I wasn't the, the um, most qualified person there. Um, each, each state there, they give, a, they give a scholarship to two people from every state, at least at that time, um, in, the, in the 90s. 
And so Alaska, there wasn't a lot of competition for that scholarship. And so I was able to get money to go to the Interlochen, and I went there and just was, I couldn't believe how people my age could play the horn that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the persons, uh, people I got to study with, um, Doug Campbell, he was for a long time the teacher at Michi- Michigan State University. Um, he had his doctorate, one of the, one of the you know, when, when, when very few people had their doctorates, he had their doctorates, so he was really looked up to. Mm-hmm. And his wife was also a horn player, and one of his former students, and she taught at University of Oregon. So I sort of got that connection. I didn't realize that connection at first. I just knew that she taught. I didn't know where she taught. But University of Oregon, one of my friends went there, and it was the closest music school that really focused in music to where I lived in Alaska. Mm. So that's why it appealed to me. And so going back, I, my last two final schools were with the Hart School of Music and University of Oregon. And I was actually sitting down to sign my papers to say I was going to go to the Hart School, and I got a phone call from University of Oregon. And being the naive person I was, I only applied to the entire university. I didn't apply to the music school as well. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they called, this music school called me up and said, hey, we got your materials from the University of Oregon, but we can't accept you this semester. We're more than welcome to, to come next semester if you want, but we can't accept you this time. And I was like, well, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to go to the University of Oregon. You know, thanks a lot. And like right when I got off that call, I got another call from, from friends that go fishing. So I was like, all right, I want to go fishing. I don't want to sign these papers now. So I went out, <laughs> caught some salmon, came back, and the next day, Ellen Campbell from University, University of Oregon called and said, I, I really wasn't supposed to listen to your, your tape that you sent in, but um, I don't know if you remember me. Um, and we started talking, and it just became obvious really quick that that's where I wanted to go to school. So that's kind of how I ended up at the University of Oregon. And again, just changed my, changed my life. It was a really amazing experience. What was it about that school and that place that affected you so much? Gosh, it was the right size. It was, it was, a, it was the size of a school that you could kind of get lost in. Um, but at the same point, it wasn't gigantic so that you never felt like you didn't get any personal attention. And in music, that's the one thing about doing music is that even at a, at a somewhat large school, you can get one-on-one instruction with, with teachers. And um, the teacher there, Ellen Campbell, was just kind of the perfect mesh of a mentor and like a mom um, that I needed. So it really worked well. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at five. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with musician and music educator Rob Detjen. So, Rob, let's 
Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now and all of the different symphonies that you play with. So who all do you play with currently? I'm, so I'm based out of Jackson right now. Um, I was brought to Mississippi um, to play with the Mississippi Symphony, um, playing the horn section there. Um, actually, my wife uh, is the principal oboe of the symphony. Okay. And so she won that job when I was, we, were, we both met in grad school at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. And she uh, was in a shorter degree program than I was, and she won this job um, right, pretty much right when she got out. I think there was a year in between. When that happened, I was very excited, but also, you know, scared that that, that was going to mean sort of the end of our relationship. And mm. we worked really hard. I mean, it was, it was, it was multiple years that uh, we were both going back and forth between Kansas City and here while I was mm. finishing up. Um, that's an 11, 12-hour drive, um, so it's not just a little skip. So um, when the opportunity came, when they had a position open, um, I jumped at the chance to take the audition, and as luck would have it, I, w I won the audition. And so that was really what brought me to, to Mississippi. And so I played with the Mississippi Symphony. Um, I also played with the Meridian Symphony. And those are my two, um, I guess you'd say, regular, regular gigs. I also do play with the Gulf Coast Symphony. And then I do a lot of subbing all around. So I've, I've subbed with the Memphis Symphony hmm. and the uh, Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, Huntsville Symphony. Pensacola Symphony. When I was in Kansas City, I played with Kansas City regularly um, up in Omaha. South Dakota Symphony. Um, you know, wow. So, uh, you know, have horn, will travel. <laughs> so you were talking about meeting your wife in Kansas City in grad school. Is that where you got your doctorate? That is where I got my doctorate, yeah. And what was your specific focus with that? Horn performance. That's the strange thing about the, the DMA, the Doctorate of Musical Arts degree, is that you, you need to have that to teach in higher education. Like, you have to have it. But it's kind of more of a performance degree. Like, it, that's just kind of the way it works. And so, because um, you're teaching, like, at a university, you're teaching a lot of it's performing. You know, that's what you're, you're, you're kind of doing. There's, a, there's an other side of music education that people teach music education, but as an applied teacher, you're really teaching, you know, performance. Mm. But yeah, so I, I was actually, so I took time off between my master's and my doctorate and um, moved up to Chicago, hmm. and I was teaching at a city college there, um, Harold Washington College at the time, it was right there in the loop in Chicago, and I lived in Chicago for about four years. And then an opportunity arose to sort of, to, to play with the Jacksonville uh, Symphony in Florida. And so I moved down there and um, played assistant horn with them regularly, um, and then they got locked out of uh, contract negotiations. It scared me. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to support myself? I was teaching at a couple of small colleges, Jacksonville University and a community college there, but, you know, the performance income mm -hmm. was gone. At that same point, my former teacher, Ellen Campbell, who had taught at University of Oregon, had moved to the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And she said, I knew you always talked about getting your doctorate someday. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not getting my doctorate. She's like, well, we have this opportunity for a graduate scholarship for playing the Woodwind Quintet. And I was like, I'm not really sure. And then this lockout happened, and I called her back up and was like, hey, is that opportunity still available? Mm -hmm. And so it, it was. And so I ended up going there and getting my doctorate and kind of another place to live in Kansas City, which I didn't know nothing about Kansas City when I got there. I knew about the Chiefs, the Royals, and barbecue. <laughs> and boy, I was just really enjoyed my time there. It, uh, wonderful people and a great art scene, really good food. I learned how to cook barbecue there, um, which I, I, is one of my loves now. I love, I love smoking um, in the backyard and whatnot. I think it all stems from there. You know, I love hearing about how music took you to so many different places. Mm -hmm. And whenever you went to those places, you played with a new group of people. What is that like as a musician? I mean, stepping into a, a new symphony, a new ensemble, 
what does that feel like and how does it differ from city to city? Oh, I mean, it's, I think it's one of the reasons a lot of people get into music just because it's hard to see ourselves sitting in a desk job and doing the same thing over and over and again. Mm -hmm. um, some people love that. Some people like the routine of knowing exactly what's going to happen at 9 and 10 and they're going to be here and there. I mean, as a musician, that, that just doesn't work. You have to take work mm -hmm. where you get it and you have to learn to be very flexible and adaptable. And so that's one of the things, you know, early on was driven into me that if you get offered a gig, you take it no matter what. Like mm -hmm. you, even if you don't think you can do it or it's mm -hmm. not in your interest, you, you just take it, you learn about it. And so I, I really bought into that. And so really until COVID happened, I, I, turned, I didn't turn down very many gigs at all. Um, and that was, that turned its world on its head. Um, the first time having to think, that was like the one thing, especially with the young children, we, we just had children. That, that was so strange because it was always like as a musician you get offered a gig and you say yes before they even stop offering it to you and for the first time you had to be like well um you know i'm worrying about your health worrying about your children's health that sort of thing you know each each place you go you know there's going to be uh each orchestra is going to have its own style especially mm -hmm. they might play a certain way certain horns that they play um each conductor is going to have certain things they emphasize or, you know, quirks that they have, you kind of have to be aware of. And you, you just have to go in and really keep your ears open, you know, mm -hmm. and not just play your way when you're going somewhere new, but go in and, and listen across the group and, and try to be able to match and, and be really, really flexible. And that's the great thing about music is it's, it's communicative. So you, you, you have to listen and, you, and you, you base your art off of what you're hearing and adapt to it. And then the best moments happen when people kind of communicate orally and, and, and it's like a sort of a, a hidden game that goes on and it's it's just it's those are some most enjoyable experiences for me what does it feel like to have that harmony with other people on a regular basis just to take a step back i mean i think that's one of the things that hurt the most with covid mm -hmm. with musicians and probably you know a lot of other artists was you lost that ability to do that and i think that's something we all really really enjoy doing and strive to do and you know, anytime you're in a new group there's sort of this period of you're kind of feeling each other out a little bit you know learning people's tendencies you know particularly in most of the ensembles that I play in I tend to be maybe not the principal player all the time so I'm always having to match that horn player and so just, just learning you know pitch wise what they're doing or you know you can when you when you come in on on on, on notes you might be someone who comes in a little bit earlier. So we're talking milliseconds, or a little bit more in the fat of the note, or towards the end of the note, um, and just knowing, you know, dynamic range, what they're doing, and so you're always kind of learning, and that's the thing you have to keep your ears open and learning, mm -hmm. and then just en enjoy the ride. <laughs> that's the thing I think. Sometimes we can get caught up in 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 trying to be so great and 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 perfect things that we kind of forget to enjoy the musical experience. And so mm -hmm. I'm always reminding myself to you know, kind of kind of sit back and, and, and enjoy what you're doing as well. And w when you're playing music, you're, 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 you're conveying a message, you mm -hmm. know, like, I mean, I think many people have said it's sort of the international language, right? And it is. You can convey things that you could never say in words in music mm -hmm. just by playing a note a little bit louder, a little bit softer, driving to the end of the note, tailing away from the end of the note. Simple artistic things that can say, can say so much. And that's the fun part about playing with people is hearing someone do that and in the moment, not even thinking about it before, in the moment, hearing it and adjusting what you're doing to match that. And it's just, it's just, that's the fun. That's the exciting part of it. So, so you have this instant 
common language. Right. And then what? How many other arts is that? Like that's the thing about music. It happens instantaneously, and it's and gone except for maybe recording. And even that's lost a little bit. But it's in the moment, right there and then. So that's I mean, live music. Go hear it, listen to it, support it. That's why we do it. It's so much fun. Oh, absolutely. Do you have any, I'm sure you have a million, but are there a couple of moments that you look back on as a performer that you were like, that was just, I can't believe I was part of that. This was life changing. I mean, gosh, that's always happening. So I was part of the Aspen Music Festival for a long time, first Mm -hmm. as a student. And then I worked there um, in arts admin as the box office manager for over a decade. But I remember being a student and the way it works there is for the top orchestras, the principal player is a professional. Mm. Um, and so that, that concert, it was John Zerbel, principal horn of the Montreal Symphony. And we were playing Chike Four. And I was playing second horn. And I, you know, I played, I mean, gosh, I was a, a master student at that point. So I had played professionally and done a lot of playing. And we, we sat down and that symphony, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, starts with this just epic horn, uh, what do you want to say, fanfare. And it's so powerful, and it, you know, people say it's like fate knocking on, on, on the door or whatever. And he started to play, and it was so loud and so in tune and so powerful that I just stopped playing. I mean, I, I was just, mm. I was, I was, my jaw was dropping. And so that stuck with me forever, um, just that powerful sound and how he could create that. I mean, it was just amazing. Another experience I had was in, in Kansas City, with the Kansas City Symphony playing Ein Heldenleben, um, or Richard Strauss, mm. another great horn piece, and just being a part of that and getting the, you know, I was sort of cutting, cutting my teeth a little bit as a professional player, and for them to ask me to play and, and play with the great horn players that were there, you know, it, it really influenced and made me go back in the practice room and, and work even harder because I enjoyed the experience so much. Speaking of going into the practice room, I have had had the privilege of working with you a little bit because you work with our whole schools program in the summer we were at a conference in Hattiesburg and you know everybody else at the end of the day we've had this super long day at this conference you're like I'm gonna go practice <laughs> you know and I was like man that's awesome but <laughs> it's such a discipline so talk a little bit about what it means to have to have that discipline as a as a musician I don't think you can think about it like that <laughs> um, if you think like it like that you're going to you're going to burn out Mm. You're going to find excuses not to do it. You, it just becomes you. It becomes a habit. And it becomes something where it's almost like an addiction. If you don't do it, you start to get jittery and twitchy and you, you feel like something's missing. Like that's how much, I mean, it, it, you have to feel and want to do it. If you're dreading going into the practice room or dreading touching your instrument every day, it's probably not the career for you because mm. you're not going to make a ton of money doing it. You know, you have to love doing it. It has to be everything that you want to do. I mean, you really, you, I mean, there are times where it's like, oh, you know, I might rather be doing this right now. But for the most part, once you start getting in there and doing it, it it's fun. It's, you enjoy the challenge of trying to, to get better at something or learning a new piece or coming back to an old friend. And I mean, more times than not, I do not see it as work. It's not. It's like, mm. I get the opportunity to do this. I get the opportunity to play. And it's the great thing about it is you have to be so focused on what you're doing in order to be, you know, proficient at it, especially the horn, that you can't think about anything else. So it's a great moment to just be able to block everything else out and not all the problems, all the issues going on. You just, you, you, you have to block them out and they, and they disappear for that little time. And it's sort of like your little, your little slice of heaven for a little bit, um, mm. which is how I look at it. So it's definitely not the discipline, right? I can't look at it like that at all. You know, all of the things you just said, I feel like are really words that that 
young aspiring professional musicians should hear. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with Rob Detjen, a musician with the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra and the Meridian Symphony Orchestra, among others, and you're an educator. So let's talk about you as an educator. Where are the places that you work with and teach right now? Sure. So when I first came to Mississippi, I came primarily as a performer, although I was trained as a, as a you know, in higher education. But I've also been teaching private horn lessons since I was in high school. And so that's kind of how I got started here teaching. Through different members of the symphony and different contacts I had started to create here, I sort of put out that I wanted to start teaching horn. And, you know, you, you always have to be careful when you come to a new location and you're not from the area and that you're not stepping on other people's toes that are already established mm. here. So I was really careful to communicate with the other horn players in the symphony and, and around just making sure I wasn't sort of infringing on their their other their other territory it's teaching but um, there were some schools in the area that, that needed horn teachers and so I started doing um, some teaching at some of the high schools in the area um, even the middle schools and the weird thing about that is I hadn't done a lot of middle school teaching in quite some time so those are like real beginner beginner horn mm-hmm. students and it was the best thing I could have done as a teacher <laughs> really oh yeah I mean it brought home how much of the like basic fundamentals of playing the horn that you need to just know inside and out because mm-hmm. and how to describe them because you know you're used to teaching someone who's already kind of had some instruction on the horn in some way mm-hmm. right in higher education even if it's just through a bit maybe they haven't had a one-on-one but they've had it in band and you go to someone that just maybe hasn't done music at all and so you just need to be able to tell them the most basic things in music and how to do that and so that period of, of a year or so when I was only teaching like really early musicians and, and, and students really drove home how much I needed to really kind of go back and be able to explain those basic concepts really really well mm-hmm. um, and that stuck with me it changed my teaching I never thought that would happen but it completely changed my teaching and so gradually I my name got to be known a little bit better and some positions opened up I started teaching at Jackson State University I'm the mm-hmm. adjunct uh, horn teacher there a great bunch of students faculty there and um, Millsaps College each adjunct there when they have a horn student that, that, that wants to take lessons and then most recently um, I applied and, and got the um, I'm the visiting let's see visiting assistant professor of horn at University of Southern Mississippi so I go down there a couple times a week to teach in Hattiesburg and just having a, having a blast down there such great colleagues and the students are just so eager to learn mm. and, and are doing amazing things. So it's so, so much fun to be a part of that. So you also work with our Mississippi Whole Schools program here at the Mississippi Arts Commission. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I have always been a part for a long time, you know, on the arts admin side of things. And mm. it's definitely a different hat you wear 
I mean, it's, you know, you're part of the arts, but you're, you're much more administrating things and budgets and contracts and this and that. And so for, as I said, for about 15 years, I was part of the Aspen Music Festival um, on the admin side. Originally, or all the time in the box office, and then the last 10 years I was actually the box office manager. And mm. so when my wife and I, when we had our first child, the Aspen Music Festival is out in Aspen, Colorado, which is an amazing place, but it's incredibly expensive, and housing is really, really hard mm. to get. And so it just, it, it just sort of wasn't going to be able to work once we had our first child. It was going to be really hard to travel back and forth and everything. So. I stepped away from that job and I was looking for something else to do. I knew about the Mississippi Arts Commission. I had done some some things as a performer and, mm. and different things with it, but I didn't really know everything it, that, that, it w that it was about. And I think it was our principal flute in the um, Mississippi Symphony, Amulet Strange, uh, just got married. So congratulations, Amulet. She said, hey, they have a, they have a position, I think it would be right up your alley with the whole schools program. And I was like, whole schools program, what is that? I didn't know what that was, had no clue. And so I applied for the job and you guys hired me. <laughs> and it's been a great fit. The, the thing that I'm really passionate about is I got started really on the horn through public edu education mm -hmm. in the school. It was a music program. And I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that. Like mm -hmm. how would I, I remember, <laughs> I haven't thought about this in a while, but I remember in junior high, and the band teacher came up in front of us and said, um, there's an opportunity to take horn lessons privately if you'd like to do it. And my thought was, why in the heck would anybody want to take horn lessons? Like, mm. that seems like the silliest idea I've ever thought of, right? <laughs> Couldn't imagine why. But that opportunity was there, and I now, you know, I, I eventually started taking horn lessons, but it was all started through, the, through, through public education and doing music. And and getting the opportunity to do that. And everywhere, I've, I've lived in a lot of different places. I've been to 49 states. Hawaii is the only one I haven't been to, and many of them I've worked in, and lived in. You know, the arts are stronger in some places more than others, but I think overall in this period we live in, arts and public education is, is disappearing a little bit. It's just not as prominent as it used to be. And so, you know, I saw this opportunity to sort of be a part of something that seems like a really great opportunity to make sure that arts stay in education in Mississippi. Mm. And so I, I know that the, the whole schools program, you know, as, as it was explained to me when I was hired, that it was the first comprehensive program in the state that really, you know, focused on arts ed education in, in the public schools. And then the idea of arts integration versus just arts enhancement mm -hmm. really, I hadn't really made that distinction before until, I, until, or at least thought it in those words before I came on this program. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm just like, yeah, this is great. You know, like not making that you just do music at this one time of the day or something, or just do art at this one time of the day. Maybe this teacher comes, you know, very few schools now in Mississippi have a full-time music teacher, a full-time art teacher. If there is one, they're usually traveling to multiple schools. So if we can get someone to train your normal math teacher, your normal English teacher on some of the basics of music, and in our program, the whole schools program, get these teaching artists to come in and get some of these concepts to be integrated directly into the daily instruction in public schools, we've seen the results, we've seen the test scores go up, and we've seen how much the kids enjoy it. And so that's, that's what's really important. You can tell when you visit any school, like, you know, there's like a, just a vibe to the school and the energy when you walk in. And when you walk into one of the whole schools, you can yeah, just yeah. feel it. Exactly. It's, it's um, there's a shimmer. You know, there is. There's, there's a shimmer that's there. And the great thing about it is right now the program's growing. When I first got here, the program was small but mighty. 
and now we are definitely in the last year our employees of the group have have you know expanded mm-hmm. we're reaching out to more schools we're trying to bring more in and we seem to have a little bit more support so it's a really exciting time and I hope it hope it really continues you know while we're talking about that if somebody happens to be listening and they're interested in our whole schools program please reach out to us at the Mississippi Arts Commission you can visit our website at arts.ms.gov and any of us would be happy to point you in the right direction to talk about whole schools you know as we've been talking about your career you really have kind of hit so many areas of jobs within the arts world I mean you've done the performance the education the administrative side having done all of that and learning all of those roles if you were talking to someone who wants to be a professional musician what have you learned that you would share with them I mean basically never think I can't or no or say no right away be willing to go out of your comfort zone throughout your life there's going to be certain doors that open and it's going to be your choice whether to walk through them or not and sometimes it can be very easy to just be like you know or that door's only open a crack Right? And you have to really push it open. But go in there and, and just give it your all. You know, there's the saying, don't fake it till you make it. I'm not sure if I really like that, that mm-hmm. phrase. But you have to go in and be willing to, maybe what your, your experience in the past isn't exactly what that job entails. But you do have experience and you do have different things you can take from your past mm-hmm. and lean on your strengths. You know, and maybe turn, completely turn that job around into something that's a little bit different. You mm-hmm. don't know. If you do something really, really well and you have the right boss, they're going to recognize that. And they're gonna, they're going to, you know, give you more in their strengths, right? But the other thing is, if if you decide to do something, you have to do it. You can't just kind of be like waiting or procrastinating or or not throwing yourself into it. And and that's the thing that when I when I take something on, I'm giving it my all. I don't I don't care what it is. So they, I mean, I'm very loyal. I think, and I'm gonna see something all the way through. Some people say probably a little bit too much, but mm. I. I want to be proud of what I, what I do, and I want someone else to be able to look at it and be proud. Um, the students I teach, I want to make sure that they're as prepared as they can be for, their, for, for what they're going to do. And I've been really, really lucky to have mentors and teachers and bosses that, you know, I, the, the saying of, of standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's mm-hmm. completely what I've done, and I want to be able to pass some of that knowledge on, um, whether it be as an educator, performer, an arts administrator, both one-on-one instances when I'm working with someone playing with something, but also of making sure that arts still exist in Mississippi, in the Southeast, and in the United States as well. It's just, Mm. you have to be passionate about it, and you just, you got to give it your all and and take every advantage that you have. Because, you know, never think, oh, I'll get to that later, because then those opportunities dry up. You just got to drive in and do it. You know, it's going to be some work, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And then enjoy, and when you have the successes, enjoy them. Mm. You know, sometimes we can... We get so focused as artists on what we're doing, and you know, we we don't really we, we, we fail to step back and think about some of the successes we've had. And so, when you do have those, even as it's a small in a practice room, and you finally get a passage that you've been working on that whole period, enjoy that. Like, give yourself credit. That's what I tell my students all the time. Give yourself credit. I'm hard on them. I really push them. But when you do have a success, enjoy it. You know, give yourself a, a pat in the back, then get back to work. <laughs> We're almost out of time, and so speaking of getting back to work, what do you have coming up? Lots of symphony performances. The Mississippi Symphony has a Bravo series coming up in November. Gulf Coast Symphony, playing a few concerts with them. Meridian, playing with them. Lots of teaching down in in Hattiesburg and here in Jackson at JSU. Carving out some time for the family as well. Uh, we have two two young children, my wife, and mm. that's changed my world completely as well. You always hear that. 
And when you become a parent, things get flipped upside down, and it really puts things into perspective, mm. for sure. So I'll manage to keep busy, that's for sure. <laughs> no doubt you will be keeping busy. To our audience, I hope you go out and check out some of the Mississippi Symphony performances all over the state, symphony performances throughout the state. And Rob, thank you so much for being here today as our guest. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much, Leslie. Um, you know, we, we've worked together for the last few years, and you know, our conversations are always interesting and, and rewarding, and I hope, I hope some of that came across today. So thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.